0: Okay, well, tonight we're going to speak from the subject, ever victorious. Anybody like a little victory in your life? Anybody super competitive? Come on, be real. Yeah, you're all raising your hand because you're like, I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand right here. (laughs) So ever since I was a child, I played sports. I've played t-ball, basketball. Um, I even tried gymnastics. Not my thing, let me tell you. One even though I'm competitive, I get scared easily. <laughs> so, like the vault, you know that one where you run up and you jump and you—anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't really know what I'm talking about, but anyway, just not my thing. But I played sports ever since I was young. Always been very competitive. And um, if you come to our house and play a game with us, some you may leave thinking we might not make it. That we may end up in divorce or something, because we're very competitive. We're a competitive family, um, but we just love that kind of sense of competition. So, specifically, when it comes to golf, and everything I do, I think that I have to be perfect. So, I've been golfing with Jason maybe a dozen times, and he just loves it, because I'm just so good. And when I'm not so good, which is actually the truth, I'm not so good, when I'm not so good, I, I like to maybe take my club and, you know, hit it on the ground and in anger of why I'm not perfect, because I just feel like I should be good at every single thing I do. (laughs) Anybody else like that? Okay, good, I got some people. (laughs) So for an outlet for my competitive side, we kind of ran into CrossFit about three years ago. I actually walked really slowly into CrossFit three years ago, very timid and intimidated, but knew that we needed a change in our life. And Mostly, not a change for my competitiveness, but a change just for health and whatnot. So going into CrossFit is awesome for me in my competitive nature because, one, every time I go there, I scout out the room and I'm like, okay, who am I gonna beat today? They don't, they don't know this, don't tell. But <laughs> that's the reality. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna outlift you, okay, we're good. I'm gonna leave this place feeling fired up <laughs> and feeling real good. But also because every day I walk in there, I'm competing against myself. I'm doing something I never thought I could do. Handstand push-up, like who, who knew, you know? So it's a, it's a great outlet for my competitive side. And every time I walk out of there, I get to walk out with this new stature, and I think it's a stature of a victor and what we all should walk in every single day of our life as people who love Jesus, as people who are saved by his grace. It's this stature of standing tall and just stout and just, yeah, I got you, got you. I mean, they don't know, remember, but you know. You know what I'm saying? So my point tonight is just about being victorious in our life. And remind, being reminded that we are victors, that we are saved by grace, that we are saved by Jesus, that we have an everlasting life with him, and ultimately he defeated death, burial, and the grave so that we might be victorious in our life. Does that sound good? In John, 1 John 5, 4-5, through 5, it reminds us of this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And, that, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we are victorious in Him. Our victory is in our salvation. Our victory is in, his, in, in being a son and a daughter of God. But the victory also comes in life's situations and circumstances. How many of you could use some victory in some situations in your life today? So the reality is that we live most often defeated, Forgetting that our God has saved us, that we can be victorious, that we can claim victory in our lives. And so today, I want to talk to you from the idea of creating a mindset of a victor. Does that sound good? All right. So point number one. We have to recall what has been done in order to create the mindset of a victor. Recall what has been done. God has done something in every one of our lives. If you're sitting in this room, it's, one, not by accident. It's on purpose. So today may be the first day that you experience God in your life. But many of us who are sitting in this room have experienced God in some way, in many ways in our life where we were able to say, that incident, that was totally God. That was not me. Right? In Joshua, we see Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering around a desert, they finally get a clue. You know, this journey should have taken like two weeks. But (laughs) it took them a little while to get a clue. And so they're going finally into the promised land. But as usual, um, the Israelites ran into another issue. And that is that there was a huge body of water dividing them between them and the promised land. So in Joshua 3, we see the Israelites who are going to go to the promised land at this place where God is going to do a miracle. So let's read it together. Joshua 3, 9. And 10 says this, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of, your, of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Sounds good. God was saying, this is how you're going to know, one, that I'm God, and two, that you are going to win the battle ahead. He hadn't even done the miracle yet. This is just him saying, this is how you're gonna know, I'm about to do a miracle. When you go to that battle, you're gonna know that I'm God and I've already got you. Right. And that's why I saw when I was reading through Joshua 3 that God was providing the miracle before the battle. For so many of us, he's done this. He's provided your miracles that you need for the battle you're facing today or the battle you're gonna face a week from now. But the thing is, is we have to go back and recall what he's done so that we can stand firm in that truth when we get into the battle, right? So let's move on to verse 11. We see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. This is him explaining what the miracle is going to be. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Who wouldn't like that? I'd like to see that. Hey, that water's in my way. You just gotta move. That'd be awesome. See the little fishies floating by, (laughs) right? The miracle was there. This is the miracle God's promising. So we go into verse 14, and we get to see the miracle happen. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of him. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. I want us to hear that, Because not only was God going to do a miracle, but our God, being who God is, likes to do big on top of big, and we're going to divide the Jordan while it's at its greatest flood stage. It has the most amount of water it could possibly have in the Jordan, and we're going to do this. So that's how God is, right? How often have we seen God not just perform our miracle, answer our prayer, but answer it abundantly? Have you guys seen that in your lives? If not, you need to press in and apply these principles, and I guarantee you well. So when the um, verse fifteen, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up just like he said it would, in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, in the vicinity of Zarethan. So it just goes on to explain that the miracle happened. Okay? So we see God with the Israelites. Give this promise. And this promise is that miracle that they needed to have assuredness for the battle. And I can explain this in my own terms because there's been dozens. I mean, I couldn't even count how many miracles God has done in my life. So, so many. But specifically, when I was a teenager, I remember this one miracle. And it seems small, but I think the fact that it was kind of small was what made me know that he can, if he cared about that, he cares about every single thing in our life. So I was maybe 13 or 14 years old, and I was in Nova Scotia, Canada. We were doing a missions trip, and um, I was distracted because I had terrible stomach pain, and I was sitting at a toilet, just hugging a toilet, crying, wishing I was out with my friends doing my missions trip, and I was stuck there just there, and it was terrible, and it was terrible pain, and I was crying, and I was like, go away, please, and I was praying and praying and praying that God would just lift it, that it would go away, and I knew within a day, it would be gone, but the problem was I just wanted to be engaged, and so I'm sitting there around the toilet, just praying and praying, and God said to me while I was praying, he said, stop praying for you and start praying for others, and I was like, oh but I'm the one that needs the miracle right now. (laughs) Like, no. I start praying for others, and immediately start praying for this older gentleman that we had met on our trip, and immediately it stopped. The pain was cut off. Just like the heap, it was cut off. Like, it was so clearly God working in that moment. There was just no explanation for it, and so that showed me that that's just a small thing. Something that I knew and God knew, it was going to go away. It happened every single month. It was going to go away. I knew that it was not something that would defeat me, but in that moment, I felt defeated. I felt discouraged. I felt frustrated, and God was like, that's okay. I'll give you this one, and I'm just like, God, you're so good. It was proof that he would ha- help me be a victor in further battles, in battles later in my life that are harder, that are more stressful, that are scary. God had shown me that just by that one thing that he cared so deeply about. So I want to encourage you in this first point. What has God done in your life? Write it down. Take note. Look back and remember. You know, in Joshua 4, after this, Joshua commands everyone to go get, uh, the 12 tribes to go get a stone from the dry riverbed and to Build a, ta- build a mound of stones to reflect on and remember always what God has done. It says it's still there to this day. So that we can look back and know and remind our, the next generation, the next generation, the next generation of what God has done. And we have to do that in our lives. We have to do that. We have to make memorial stones. We have to build things to remember. We have to write it down so that we would always know what God has done in our life. Good? All right, number two is ready for number two. You guys ready? I don't know, are you ready? All right, number two, claiming the mindset of a victor. We have to reclaim what has been taken. As we look at this point, I think about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king. He was in a great position, one that you wouldn't leave for anything. It was like the best position to have. Minus maybe being the king, I'm sure that was probably better. But he was in a position of authority, authority, trust and validation and he had heard rumor that Jerusalem had been torn down. The walls had been torn down and the, the gates had been burnt. So there was no protection over Jerusalem. And what had happened was that the Jews were dispersed for a while and they had started coming back to Jerusalem. And so then he was hearing this report and Nehemiah being a Jew had, had, had immediately felt for his nation. His heart was broken and God had set him to fix his heart on that thing and to fix that thing, to reclaim what was taken. So in chapters 1 through 6 of Nehemiah, we see him do this physically. He goes and, and gathers and rebuilds the wall. And then in the remaining chapters, we see, him do, he, we see him rebuild Jerusalem to God, bring them back into alignment with God. Because what had happened was they had lost their focus on God. They had, they had stopped um, their covenant with him, and so they were dispersed. So no matter what, if you've got something taken from you, the, the Jews happen to like kind of give up their, their promised land for a while, or a lot of us have experienced people taking things from us, right? We've experienced promises over our lives be broken or taken, or we've experienced being hurt. We've experienced being victims, and so whether it's that something's been taken from you, or you've given it up freely, which so many of us do, right? We tend to give up the promise of God in our life because this way seems easier for now, right? But the reality is, even though his way is harder, it ultimately ends up easier. So it reminds me of this song, and I'm guessing probably you may not know it. (laughs) Do you want me to sing it? What are you looking at me like? that Okay, you ready? You guys ready? This is my vocals. So this song goes, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Oh, I took back what he stole from me. Okay, so. (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) I think about that song because the reality is we have to reclaim what has been taken from our lives. The enemy has taken things from us and it's time to go and reclaim them. First John 10.10 John 10 reminds us of this, that the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. But a lot of us have given up that life and life abundantly, whether intentionally or accidentally. We've given it up. So we have to go in and take it back. So... In order to do that, you probably want to know how, right? Because we can't stop there. All right, so in order to reclaim what was taken, the first thing we have to do is we have to admit where it all went wrong. How many of you know like that pivotal moment where that one thing, it kind of threw you off track? Whether it was something that happened to you or something, a decision you made that it was like suddenly you were not going the right direction? You know, anybody? Okay, I know there's some. (laughs) I mean, I've had those moments. We have to admit where it all went wrong and we have to repent or we have to reflect and pray, right? Because if we didn't give it up, we don't have anything to repent for, right? Except maybe holding on to something that wasn't ours to hold on to. But the reality is that we have to repent or reflect and pray in order to kind of soak it in and realize, oh, this is how we got here. In Nehemiah, he knew that the Jews had committed sin by going against God and his word and their covenant and so in Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11, we see him go to God after being brokenhearted for the Jews. And he says to them, he says to God, he confesses the, the, the sins of the Jews and the sins of himself. And you can see that in verse 6. We're gonna, You can go to chapter 1, 4 through 11, and you can read this whole thing. But in verse 6, it says this towards the end. Confessing the sins of the people, Of Israel. This is Nehemiah crying out to God, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So he repents for the sins of Jerusalem and the sins of himself. And as we go further, the last verse, Nehemiah in his prayer prays for God to give him success as he goes back into Jerusalem. So while Nehemiah prayed that God would be victorious, here's the thing, it doesn't matter where you're at or how you got there, you still have a heavenly Father who wants you to come home. You still have a heavenly Father who wants to see you be victorious in this life. He's not gonna ask you to sit there. Sometimes it's a, a choice that we make to sit in our stuff. And sometimes it's a lot harder to break out of the dysfunction that we're in and the brokenness that we're in than to go in and reclaim what was taken. Perhaps it's not like the story of Nehemiah for you. Maybe you didn't give up your, your purpose and your gifting and your calling. Maybe the enemy snuck in and wiped out your marriage. You slowly but surely are, are far, far away from each other. Maybe your identity was stolen as a child or a young adult, and now you're stuck in this place of victim. Maybe you've lost battle after battle, and nothing seems to be working, and you can't get your feet under you. Or maybe your health has been taken. You've been given a diagnosis that's not, not one that you want to claim. Whatever it is, we have to recognize it and pray to reclaim it. Good? All right, the second thing to, to reclaiming is that we have to be willing to fight. So Nehemiah going back into Jerusalem, people did not like that. The surrounding nations were not happy about that. The Jews were not loved, really. <laughs> so in verse 4:1, we see Sanballat gather nations to come against Nehemiah and his work he was doing. But Nehemiah knew that he could not stop working. He had to keep working, but he also had to be prepared to fight a battle. So in Nehemiah 4:16. We're going to focus on 17, 16 through 17. 17 says this. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. How tricky would that be? Like I'm trying to build a wall over here yet be prepared over here to like stab someone. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's what I think, sorry. (laughs) That's the reality. They were constantly ready to fight. The, The reality is that we live... In a world where there is a constant battle for our soul, there is an enemy who very much does not want to see you succeed, very much doesn't want to see you on the other side in heaven. He very much doesn't want to hear Jesus' name splattered all over the earth through your voice. So he's there to diminish, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Ephesians 6:11 through 13 reminds us of this, that we have to put on the full armor of God that, the, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil, de- to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Right. Yeah. To stand firm. The reality is that you've got to be able to stand in order to be victorious, you have to be able to stand. Nobody gets anywhere by laying down. Let's be real. <laughs> you can roll down a hill fast, but that's about it. You got to be willing to stand. You can't win a fight, you can't win a game. You can't do any you have to move. You have to be ready to fight. You have to be ready to play. Like there's just no seasons. There's seasons of calm, but you're still always aware. In those seasons, we're remembering and reflecting what God has done so that when the battle comes, because it's going to come, sorry to tell you, there's no, until you're in heaven, there's just no other way. <laughs> we're going to fight right. for our souls. We're going to fight for our, the people around us and their souls. Right? So we've got to put on the full armor of God. All right, my last point is this. We have to rename what was mistaken. This point is kind of near and dear to me because I have three kids, each one whose name was literally given by God. Like, you'll listen to our story. Each one was, this is what their name is. Okay. I liked this better, but that's fine. <laughs> they, they were designated by him. And so this is really important to me, this whole idea of a name. And more, it is just coming, becoming more clear and more clear that God cares so much about our name. Not necessarily always our personal name. Some of our names are totally made up by our parents who are trying to be creative and have absolutely no meaning. But the reality is that there's still a banner over your life. There's still a word that if you look through the thread of your life, there's probably a word that has been in the midst of that thread. That you've seen, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, that's, oh, okay, I see you, I see you here, God. And that's the banner over your life. So for me, from the beginning of my life, the enemy attempted to place the name victim on my life. And I could have easily walked through my entire life completely justified under that banner. Completely justified. If you heard my story, you would say, absolutely, you just stay there. But that's not what we do as Christ followers, right? And the reality is that my name wasn't given to me by the enemy. It wasn't even given to me by man. It was given to me by God. And God is the one who kept that name and that banner over my life, the truth of my life. And as I kind of dug into my actual name and what it means, I found that the enemy truly tried to reverse my name. So my name is Erica Ray. Erica means ever powerful, honorable ruler. You didn't know. You can just bow down now, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I knew, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It means ever powerful, honorable ruler. Ray means little lamb, one with purity. And I was like, whoa. I didn't ever look at this before today, or before a couple days ago. The enemy worked so hard to try to reverse my name. He literally tried to make me powerless, and he tried to steal my purity and my innocence. Wow, that's how much the enemy wanted me to be distracted. He doesn't want me to be running under the banner that God gave me at all. And I didn't have to live under that because for some reason my God was just so intentional that I just knew at the age of five, he is got me, he loves me, I had no fear, I had no hangups, like I just knew I was his and I knew I was child of God above everything else. Biblically, we see the same thing with Daniel. Daniel was a child of God. He loved God. You can read through the whole story of Daniel. It's so awesome. Daniel means God is my judge. When he was stuck in Babylon, they renamed him to Belteshazzar, which means may Balak protect, which is an idol. And it's also a feminine name. They renamed him a man of God to a feminine name and tried to strip away all God out of his life. But Daniel, didn't, he didn't fall under that. You read through Daniel, and Daniel saw miracle after miracle. He proved God so many times in the book of Daniel that like you, you couldn't possibly not know God just by reading Daniel. We also see how much God cares about names as he renames several people in the Bible. So in Genesis 1 through eight, he renames Abraham, which means a high father. Abraham and Sarai could not have kids. They were not, they were like 100 100 years old when they had their first child. And he renamed him because Abraham's actual promise over his life was that he would be a father to a multitude of nations. So that's what that means in Abraham. Genesis 17, 15 is about Sarai, and her name is Quarrelsome. That's what her name means, and if you read through it, you can kind of get a little bit of that. For (laughs) She was renamed to Sarah, which means princess. In Genesis 32, 27 through 28, we have Jacob, who was a supplanter. He was deceptive. He was the ultimate deceiver. And his name, when he wrestled with God, was changed to Israel. And obviously we see Israel through the whole Bible. It leads us straight to Jesus. So God cares about names. He cares about your name. And he cares about what you're living under. It's time to rename what was mistaken. So maybe some of you have been living under names that have been put on you, placed on you, reigning over you, that you're not meant to be living in. So in order to become a victor and start taking the posture of a victor every single day of your life, you have to go back to what God has named you. You have to remember that and take that name on. So as we stand, we're about to close. I just wanna pray for those of you and remind you of some names. Maybe Maybe you're not sure what that banner of your life is. First of all, if you're saved, you're a child of God. So you can start right there. That's the best best place to start. If I'm a child of God, I'm a child of a king, which means I'm a princess, and you're a prince. I know it sounds very childish, but that's just the matter. That's just the fact of the matter. So you can walk already, like, you know, no no royalty just walks like this, right? Royalty walks like this, yeah. I'm a child of God, he's got me, I'm a victor. So some of you may have been living under the name victim. Let's rename that to Victor. Some lonely, you're loved. Some sinners, we're all sinners, right? But we're all forgiven as well. Some sick, some now healed. Amen. I'm proclaiming that over lives right now.